Hello and welcome to Name on the Trophy, the Manchester United podcast and YouTube show where we chat all things United and analyse what's going on. We're analysing the season so far in today's episode, a little mini awards ceremony uh, given out by myself, Dominic Booth, and Alex Wiley, who is with me once again. Uh, how are you today, Alex? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me once again. It's Yeah, it's the international break for United. It seems really weird that there's no fixture for two weeks, but no break for us on the pod. Um, how did you find prepping for, for today's one? Because it's sort of like a, a bit of a mid-season break episode in terms of how we're going to assess what United have done in the season so far. Yeah, it was... Uh... In truth, I mean, a lot of the players that we're going to talk about today are players that we've already spoken about. So a lot of it was going over new ground, but trying to find certain stats here or there that maybe haven't been picked up on before. And I'm not sure if you've actually said all the awards that we're going to do, but one of them is going to be the performance of the season. And that I found probably the most interesting because it's not something I've dug in from a stats perspective, much this season. So I think that one I'm really looking forward to uh, sinking our teeth into. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's a few a few contenders for best performance of the season. We're not going to go into worst performance of the season because we probably, probably could, tell, <laughs> I do, could tell you that straight away. I do actually have stats for that as well, but we can... We can well, I think there's there's two that stand out above it. the rest when, when, we, when we come to that for sure. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's start with the first uh, award that we're giving out so far. And this obviously does cover... Some of what we've spoken about in the in the past and previous podcasts, Alex. But I suppose it dep- depends on your definition of player of the season so far, which is which is the award we want to give out first. Um, how do you define this? Because it's it's one of those when this comes up at the end of the season when they give out the Samat Busby Award at the uh, at the club do. I often feel like they get it wrong. It often just give it to the player with the most goals or if it's been a bad season, they just give it to David De Gea. That, that tends to be how it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought, for me, I think it's fairly simple. You just choose a player that you think has been the best. I don't, I think the narrative side of it, obviously I'm probably less swayed by that than, maybe you and the pundits and the players perhaps I, I'm trying to cut through it although that being said this might be a bit of a giveaway the player I've chosen happens to have scored a lot of goals so maybe I'm f- f- <clears throat> full of nonsense yeah, I think I've chosen the same player so uh, yeah mine is Marcus Rashford quite simply mine is also Marcus Rashford and I kind of thought that you would. It's not like you to undercomplicate and to simplify. So this this surprises me in a sense. I thought you were going to bring out some fancy stats and say, you know, why it's Fred or why it's <laughs> Tyrone Malassia or something. But um, yeah, you can't really argue with Rashford's numbers. I mean, you can include the the World Cup and it is sort of um, the story of his form this season. If you do include his World Cup goals and all his United goals. Since the start of the season, he's scored 30 goals. Uh, obviously, 27 for United, 14 in the league. This is a complete transformation, as we've discussed in the past. Uh, the player that that we saw last season to the player now is just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, we're talking now Rashford in the possibly the Premier League player of the season, PFA player of the season stakes, you know, up in the top calibre in the world now from a place where people thought he might actually leave United and he may never fulfil his obvious potential. 
Mm. Last season, I found Rashford so frustrating to watch. This season, you almost get the feeling every time he has the ball that he's going to score a goal. So looking at his stats, so comparing him to other wingers in the top five European leagues, his non-penalty goal rate is 0.6, which puts him in the top 1% for wingers in the top five European leagues. So he's gone from someone, I don't have the stats immediately off the top of my head, but he's gone from someone who was slightly above average as a goal-scoring winger to someone who is arguably the best. I think the only player that plays out wide and is similar to him stats-wise is Messi. I think him and Messi are right at the top. Now, he is overperforming his expected goals. Um, so his overperformance puts him in the top 10% for finishing. So whether you... Is that luck or is that a certain way that he's striking the ball? Has something changed there? I don't know. But his expected goals are still really good. So that's 0.48, which puts him in the top 2%. So what we've what United effectively have now on the left-hand side is an elite, maybe one of the best goal-scoring wingers in world football. His chance creation numbers aren't that good. I mean, he's... He's in the bottom 9% for expected assists. So he's he's effectively just a striker now, who a dribbly striker out wide. He also yeah. doesn't really progress the ball whatsoever, which is something he used to do. He almost always gets the ball in the final th- third rather than someone who brings it in. So I think that side of his game has changed somewhat. And now everything that he does is focused around scoring goals. And... I think that's a change. It was obviously a change for the better. It very much suits what he what he's good at because his goal scoring, world class right now. It's world class. Yeah, I mean he, that's his game, isn't it? Trying to get a shot off basically uh, at the not the earliest opportunity, but the best opportunity. Whether that means trying to beat a player, player one two. His relationship with Luke Shaw, I think, has a lot to do with. Um, his numbers as well, and those two are firing together down that left hand side. I don't think there's there's many better combinations in the Premier League for sure, and, and possibly around Europe. I mean, last year Rashford scored five goals in all competitions. I know he was out for a time with injury, and there was there was talk that he was still getting over a shoulder problem that that was hampering him. No goals mm. from January the twenty second until the end of the season last year. Mm. I mean. I think it's fair to say he didn't particularly enjoy Ralph Rangnick's tenure. But I also coincided with him playing a lot of football on the right-hand side where any United fan will tell you Rashford just doesn't do his best work. And and that probably plays into the fact that it's harder for him to to do what he wants to do, cut in and get a shot away uh, when he's playing on the right-hand side. That's exactly what his whole game now is, is based around that. It's, as you said, getting the ball... In the final third, either playing a one-two with Shaw or taking a player on and creating a shot himself. Because his dribble numbers, his take-on numbers are really high, but his actual carrying the ball up the pitch is really low. And what you get from that is effectively a player who likes to get the ball in the final third, stand players up, take them on and get a shot off. He also doesn't really cross the ball as well from the left-hand side. It's almost always getting the ball and shooting. And as soon as you put him on the right-hand side, you're not getting that you're just you're literally cutting that out so for me with Rashford I know he's played up front a little bit his left the left hand side is where he is best because it suits exactly what he is good at taking a player one-on-one 
quick touches, getting past them and creating shots and scoring goals. That is what that's what we have now. And that's what we should have every game. I think if you're not playing him on the left wing, you're not really using him to his full potential. So for me, yeah. for the next few years, it should be left-hand side almost every single game. And Ten Hag has been resistant to, to playing through the middle. I know he has done in those games away against Barcelona, for example, played him through the middle when he played Veghorst deeper. But primarily, I mean, we're talking at a stage now where Veghorst started 18 consecutive games up front, which is probably a separate podcast on why that's happened. Uh, (laughs) There's so many reasons to go into that. But one of them is that Ten Hag wants Rashford to play on the left. He doesn't really want to play Rashford through the middle. He certainly doesn't want to play him when it's, when there's no physical presence such as a veg horse there or or no one who is more capable holding the ball up because that's not Rashford's game. Rashford, I think, can play through the middle in a team that sits deep and a team that wants to counter-attack where he can play on the shoulder. But he's not going to be that sort of all-round number nine um, play, playing with his back to goal, etc. So I kind of did want, I did want to see, I, I still do want to see Sancho, Rashford and Anthony with Sancho on the left and Rashford through the middle. But Ten Hag has his tactical reasons for not really ever doing that. Mm. And one of which is he he simply knows and sees that Rashford is best on the left. I think Rashford in previous years maybe sulked a little bit when he wasn't on the left because I think he even he knows and he looked like he was not throwing his toys out the pram, but just not happy when he was put on the right. Perhaps. I mean, I'm not even sure if it's sulking. I think it was a confidence issue with Rashford. I think it was confidence being played out of position and the injury that he picked up last year, I think all culminated in this underperformance. But even even so, the performances this season are so far ahead of really anything he's ever done. I'm not sure what you what you attribute that to. Do you, do you give credit to Rashford? I know he did a lot of work pre-season. Do you give the credit to Ten Hag to getting the best out of him? I don't know what it is. As, as much as I'd like to see Sancho on the left, because I think Sancho is very, very good. I think what Rashford gives you on the left is so specific and so brilliant that you, you just need to keep on running that. And with Sancho, try and fit him in a different way, whether that's as a number 10, which has been trialed out, or on the right-hand side where, yeah, he, he's more of a um, creative force who plays on the right Sancho, and I guess that could work with someone who's more of a goal scorer on the left because at the moment we've got two wingers who are basically out and out goal scorers. You've got Rashford, yeah. who's an elite goal scorer, and then you've got Anthony, who is also just a goal scorer, not an elite one, but also literally just shoots. He doesn't create chances whatsoever. So all of the creativity in that sort of final third is resting on Bruno's shoulders. And whilst Bruno is a creative powerhouse, I just think the the balance isn't quite right, and we need someone in there who's more willing to create, whether that be a new number nine who can drop deep or a Sancho or even like an Amad Diallo, I, I don't know, but there needs to be a bit more creativity in the final third. It's a little too goal-scoring centric and that's fine for Rashford because he's so, so good at it. But I think elsewhere in that in that front three, front four, there needs to be a more creative presence. Yeah, you and I have spoken in the past about how United just have so many players who want to shoot from everywhere. You know, Bruno, <laughs> Anthony, Rashford, um, 
even when you know get with Tom and A plays and people like that, Sabitzer now they, they all like to get a shot away. So um just incidentally, did you have anyone else on your on your shortlist for this for this award? Casemiro was the closest probably for me, um, aside from Rashford. You know, obviously a bit harder to quantify through numbers his impact, but we, we've spoken about about it before, just his overall in, impact on the team. Uh, when he's on the pitch and not suspended, is is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, Casemiro. So I think Casemiro is Casemiro Sanchez the highest saber score, which means that their stats on the pitch have the highest impact on effectively winning games. But with Casemiro, I do feel that the last few games he's dropped off a little bit, and I know he's had the suspensions, but also his performances. I think certainly against Liverpool, he was terrible. But, but even, even to a lesser extent, I think he's been a little loose with his passing every now and then and giving away possession slightly easier than he should. And whilst he was very good for the first few months, I do think Casemiro's had quite, not a bad month or two, but like a, probably like an average month or two. A little but, bit of a reality check maybe after people were going crazy about him at one point because he did just seem to have such a a massive changing impact on the side. So yeah, yeah, maybe what you've said, what you've said in the past about Casemiro having a dip at some point is actually coming. <laughs> the chickens might be coming yeah. home to roost slightly. I don't, I don't think the chickens will be coming home to roost, like in terms of like his age profile just yet. I know he's played a lot of football, but I, I do think that's something we'll see in like two or three years. I don't think that's the reason for it now. It's probably, it's probably more the suspensions t- slightly taking him off his rhythm or something like that. But going back to Rashford, Rashford is still doing it. Like he's still scoring goals. He hasn't really dipped much this season. Even if it has, it's like a game or two at best. So for me, I had to go with Rashford because he not only has he been elite if you look at it in totality, but he's been elite consistently throughout the season. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, our player of the season so far, then Marcus Rashford, uh, young player of the season so far. Alex, our next. Award. I've just determined this to be those under the age of 23, um, which actually, when I looked down the United squad, was an issue in itself because there actually aren't that many regular <laughs> no. starters who are, who are under 23. I know the PFA Young Player of the Year, they, I don't know if they still do it, but it was it was under 25. And you get people who are winning the Young Player of the Year who you think they've been playing in the Premier League for years. They can't possibly mm. still be young. Um, but who did you have for the, for this one? I have gone for Alejandro Garnacho. We agree again, then we agree. <laughs> Another yeah, player um, likes to cut in on the left, off the uh, on the off the left hand side. Yeah, he, he's a little different to Rashford. He he still has a slight um, more of a tilt to scoring than creating, but what Alejandro does a lot is carry the ball. So he he loves carrying the ball up the pitch, like significant distances. I mean, you can tell when you watch him as well as taking players on. So with Rashford, you've got someone who isn't so keen on carrying it, but once you get it, it's happy to take a player on quickly and get a shot off. Alejandro is happy to take it significantly deeper and then carry it forward. And then is still scoring at a very good rate. I mean, he's 18 years old. His Sabre score is 83 right now and his potential is 91. And... It probably goes without saying because I, I very rarely talk about players in the 90s. There's like a handful that are in the 90s. We're talking Mbappe, Erling Haaland, players like that. Those are the players that are in the 90s right now. 
And there aren't many players with the potential to be in the 90s. And Garnaccio is one of them. I think he is a phenomenal talent. It's interesting you say that because I think that Ten Hag has managed his development very cleverly this year. He's played 29 games, which seems like a heck of a lot across all competitions. But only 10 of those have been starts. I think um, he he was delayed in terms of when he came into the side earlier this season, Garnacho, because Ten Hag um, wasn't entirely sure about his attitude in training. There was a little bit of a concern about yeah. um, how hard he was working and um, whether he was approaching things in the right way. Ten Hag then brought him in and saw an immediate impact. I mean, I think about that goal at Fulham, the winning goal at Fulham um, just before the World Cup break, which is a, a massive moment for Garnacho in, in terms of his breakthrough. And he had a couple of really good games in the League Cup as well. And I guess the question is, the, the, and the problem is with United, they know they've got a huge talent, you know, I like say 18, um, still still developing. It's how they, how they manage him and, and can they increase his game time can they increase his role obviously you've got Rashford playing in the position that Garnacho will be playing in yeah it goes back to what we've spoken about in previous podcasts we're too lopsided we've got far too many players that can play on the left and cut in and not enough on the right and I think a that's a personnel issue and b if I'm being critical of Ten Hag I think he needs to be slightly more open to players on the right being right-footed. I know Pellistri is finally getting a bit of game time because he is a right-winger who is right-footed, but I think just given the profile of the squad and, as you said, with the Garnaccio issue, more of these players need to start playing on the right and we need to fit a system that works with that. Because going back to what we are talking about 10 minutes ago, We've got these two wingers that cut in and shoot all the time. And I do generally think that has a bit of an impact on someone like Vegos not actually scoring that many goals. I also don't think Vegos is good enough, but I do think <laughs> I do think that's partly because we've got players that are just shooting all the time rather than actually creating for him. Like almost none of our wingers cross. Literally none of them. The only one that does is literally the only player who crosses the ball is Bruno Fernandez, and he's the 10. So I do think that Ten Hag needs to open up to having wingers who are right-footed being on the right-hand side and maybe put a cross in every now and then. And that could be Garnacho, that could be Sancho. I don't know, but it feels like a change that needs to start happening. And it is starting to happen with Pellistri. I just hope it happens with slightly better players. That's a big bar for Pellistri. We've got, we've got some friends who are big fans of Pellistri who, uh, who might be listening um, I think Sancho on the right is obviously the one that you, is the elephant in the room with, with what he did on the right-hand side, primarily at Dortmund. I know you said in the past he didn't always play on the right at Dortmund, but he did play a lot a lot there and he got a lot of assists uh, and quite a lot of goals as well. So that's the, that's the thing that United fans are waiting to be unlocked, really. And it's been a it's been a slow burner with Sancho. It, it hasn't been a slow burner with Garnacho at all. He's absolutely burst onto the scene. It would be interesting to see him on the right a little bit. And maybe that is that is possible with how he goes past players. And like you say, he can create. So one to watch out for. Um, yeah. But yeah, Garnacho's our young player of the season so far. Um, just, this is um, the most... Go on, sorry. Go. Um, just a quick thing. So talking about the right-back situation. Sorry to cut you off. It's just one thing I did want to say. Is um, 
I think it'd be good if United looked at right backs that are comfortable coming inside when the winger comes outside. Because I know that Malassia and Shaw do it quite a lot. And Dallo looks fairly comfortable doing it. Uh, Wambasaka looks like a fish out of water when he does it. But if we are going to start having wingers that are right-footed on the right side, who are probably going to like hug hug the wing and, and go to the line, I think the way that you fit that in, and I, I presume Ten Hag's already thought about that, is having a fullback who's willing to come inside to still create those angles, rather than vice versa, where you've got the fullback on the outside and the winger cutting in. So I, I do think that moving forward... If that is what we are to do, United need a right back who's very comfortable coming on the inside. That's all I wanted to say. We can move on to the next awards. <laughs> it's a good point. It makes me think of uh, City when Cancelo was there and, and Cancelo playing left back and Phil Foden would often play left wing and he's obviously left footed and Cancelo would, would tuck in. Um, I know Arsenal are doing it a bit now with Zinchenko um, inverting as well. So, yeah, that's definitely one for one for the future. The next one was what I was gonna was gonna talk about was the performance of the season award, which I think we both said is probably the most interesting of these categories, purely because there's a lot of debate to be had, I think. It depends on how you how you define a good team performance. I was just looking down the results, and I've noticed United haven't beaten anyone by more than three goals all season, which it's kind of strange, and maybe there's reasons for that as well. But pick a result, pick a pick a performance. What's been United's best display of the season, Alex? So it's a weird one because I think our best performance of the season was a game that we didn't win. This is real is, stat stuff now. This is what one, one this is the so, community. so far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, the two-two draw to Barcelona at the new Camp, I thought was a phenomenal performance. Um, we were against one of the best sides in Europe at the time, and still now, I think. A side that is beating Real Madrid in La Liga fairly comfortably, although, um, as you know, they won, didn't they? So yeah, still fairly comfortable. 12 points, 12 points ahead, I think, at the moment, yeah. Yeah, and that's a Real Madrid side that comfortably knocked Liverpool out. We went to the nice Camp to get though. that in there. Yeah, that's just, Get a little dig in. <laughs> um, we went to the Camp Nou. I think we outplayed them. We deserved to win. And on the expected goals, which I think is a more reliable indicator than actual goals in a game, certainly because, I mean, you can score from 40 yards out and, and win a game. It does, it's not really reflective of how well you played. On the expected goals, we were plus 1.1. And I think, is it Brentford? So Brentford, with their modelling, from what I understand... I think any game that they have plus 0.35, they effectively chalk down as a game they should win. So we had two or three times that. And watching the game, it felt like that. I, I felt we played Barcelona off the park at the Camp Nou. I think it was the first time the, the Vegor's number 10 thing got... Is that is that true? Is the first time yeah, it got that's, brought that's out? Yeah, that's funny. I think he played a little bit of Leeds in the previous game. Right, um, yeah. Counteract yeah. leads is um, high press and get Rashford running beyond them. But yeah, it was certainly very effective at the Camp Nou, actually. Although United sort of... I kind of watched that game and thought United bypassed Beghorst a lot. And he was almost yeah. used as a constant decoy for Rashford. Yeah. They obviously worked brilliantly well. And I think Fred and Casemiro both have fantastic games uh, behind Beghorst as well. So that, that certainly helped. 
Yeah, and it's it's dealing with that pressure as well. Uh, it's not just the performance, but to go to the Camp Nou and deal with that pressure and stick to a game plan and to execute it, I thought was really impressive. That performance there was was one of one of the best sides in the world, I thought. Like if, if a side's playing like that consistently, that's that's the kind of performance you'd expect from one of the better sides in world football. So yeah, for me, that has been our best performance of the season. Interesting. That didn't come up on my radar. I know it was a fantastic performance, but there were count a lot of counter-attacking um that United did in that game. I was sort of looking for a performance where I felt like United dominated from start to finish and completely played a, a good team off the park, which when I looked down the results and the performances was was fairly hard to come by. I mean, the the second half against Leicester, which was the next game, um, United played brilliantly in the second half of that game, but played very badly in the first half and were lucky to be level. Um I was going to say where we watched that from. It was we watched that on my stag do, which I don't actually remember all of because I think I was still drunk from the previous night. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think United's best performance was a long time ago. A lot of people may not remember. It was the two nil win over Tottenham mm-hmm. at home in October. Um, yeah. United played really well in this game against Tottenham, who were flying at the time um, under Conte at the start of the season when he was he was seem to be enjoying the job unlike now and just one of those games where things click for united and we saw what the ten what the ten hag way if i can put it that way what that would be and a lot of players performed to their optimum um anthony had a good game rashford was down the middle i think um in that game fred was i think the man of the match any game where fred's man of the match is absolutely fine by me so yeah, I'm going for the tuna win over Spurs, despite a lot of sort of honourable mentions. Yeah, um, with the Spurs game, I think that's one of the few instances we've had where we played a very well, a good or slash very good side and dominated it. Almost all of our other big performances, as you said, have been more counter-attacking, and I suspect that's partly because of the way that the teams still structured it's still it's still structured like a counter-attacking team if you think about the assets that we have a lot of it feeds into a team that should counter-attack rather than dominate possession so i can see why you've gone for that i had um 2-1 against city as my second best yeah that because, was up there for me yeah again we were the better team we created the better chances it had the the high of scoring that the winning goal which was obviously fantastic and i think leicester the 3-0 Leicester win was the second highest expected goal difference we had this season. And almost all of that was crammed into that second half. And I'm not sure if that was a Leicester meltdown or something clicking for United, but it was, it was a really good performance. But it's interesting because I'm looking at the expected goal differences, like the best ones throughout the season. Four of the top five have been in the Europa League, which says a lot about the quality of the competition. The only yeah. one that was in that top five was, was the Leicester game. There haven't been many teams that we've absolutely destroyed and to be fair there's been a few games where we've been absolutely destroyed the liverpool one is obvious but interestingly the uh 3-2 loss to arsenal actually had a worse expected goal difference than the liverpool game it is actually our best finishing game and one of our worst chance creating games in the league 
And I know the game right. state has somewhat of an effect on that because when you're yeah. sort of holding on to holding on to result, it, it does affect that. And Arsenal were pushing for it. But it is interesting if you if you sort of dig a bit deeper into the numbers, how certain narratives can get very skewed by things like good finishing. Because like the Liverpool game, the pundits, and the Liverpool pundits were saying that this is United, yeah, that this is a terrible team, this, that, and the third. And and really when you dig down at it, it was a terrible performance, but it wasn't we didn't deserve to lose seven nil or anything anything near that. So I just no, there's eight eight shots on target and seven seven and went in, didn't they? And yeah, some great finishes. I mean the the one yeah, I think the the problem with the Europa League is that United should have destroyed teams in that. And that's yeah. probably that's probably reflected by those those um expected goals figures. I mean, three nil against Sheriff, two nil against Sheriff, one nil against Nicosia in in the group stages. But those were quite early on in the Ten Hag reign where the Tottenham result was in that period as well. And that's why it was so encouraging at the time because yeah. United hadn't destroyed anyone. They were getting through games or losing them. Um, yeah. you know, they, and they went to they went to places like Everton and just scraped it against the poor side and they failed to beat Newcastle at home in that period. Beat Arsenal at home, but I don't know what the stats say about that 3-1 win against Arsenal, but that certainly didn't feel like a, a 3-1 no. game. United didn't dominate that game at all. No, I haven't got the stats immediately in front of me, but from memory, I, I don't think it was anywhere near a 3-1, like deserving of a 3-1 win. But you're right. I mean, that's why, I mean, these high expected goal difference games, I discounted a lot of them because the opposition are just, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, Nicosia, probably like an upper league one sort of standard level team not not to be um too disrespectful but that is kind of the standard and i think the nicosia game did we score quite late on am i right in the saying late that? winner yeah from octomina yeah yeah so that kind of goes on to the the game state thing because the nicosia game is by far the highest expected goal difference game we've had it was plus 4.1 like and that is partly because a it was a terrible team not to be disrespectful, but it, it was a bad game. <laughs> it's slightly disrespectful. You said that um, twice now, after, both times after disrespecting. <laughs> second, it was. I don't at think home. we get many Nicosia fans listening. It's fine. Yeah, it might. It might. You never know. It might get to their ears. Anyway, um, secondly, it was at home, and home advantage is quite significant. Like it, it swings swings it about ten percent either way. And finally, we were chasing the game, so the game state. And if you're chasing a game, you tend to. The team tend to sit back, especially if they're the poorer team. You tend to push forward, and then that can juice your expected goal numbers to a point in which it looks like you've got this phenomenal attack. When really it was more of a game state thing than anything else. So yeah, you're you're spot on. The Tottenham result miles better than any of these Europa League performances. Tottenham are a a better team, but b the way we controlled that game was really promising, and we haven't really seen a lot of that since. If I if I'm honest, I can't really think of a game where. We've had the ball more than like sixty percent of the time. It, it almost feels like a we slightly edge possession, but we never truly dominate the ball, which is what I think Ten Hag wants. But yeah, I think there'll yeah. be a a gradual transition in that, and some games United will be able to do it. Um, like like we've said, a lot of games have, have taken place recently. The schedule's been really congested. It maybe has been hard for Ten for Ten Hag to to translate what he wants into every single performance. So. I think we'll see more of it. I think as the um, as the Ten Hag philosophy beds in, we will see more of that. So yeah. we've got split split results on the performance of the season. Barcelona and Tottenham uh, for us. 
Uh, the last one we've, we've covered a little bit before, but we're just going to finish off with best signing of the season. Alex, is it Casemiro? Is it still Casemiro? Has he gone down that far in your estimations? It's not Casemiro anymore. Not because he's plummeted from my estimations. It's more because the player that I had in second place three or four weeks ago was, in my opinion, very close to Casemiro. And that's Lisandro Martinez. <laughs> as a stats yeah, guy... Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you say that, actually. Yeah, as a stats guy, I'm sort of letting myself down a little bit because it's somewhat of an emotional decision. I adore Martinez. I think he's fantastic. I have the stats to back it up, but it is somewhat of an emotional um, choice. Yeah, for me, I think he has been assigned this season. And he hasn't really dropped off too much. He's had the occasional bad game, Brentford, Liverpool, but then comes back the next game and sort of doesn't seem to be too phased by it and sticks to the sort of level that he has for most of the season. And for me, having that a left sider who is as good on the ball as he is and as nasty as he is, like he's so much nastier than our other centre-backs, has really, really improved United. So that's mine. Yeah, stats man in shows emotion, shocker. I can just see the headlines <laughs> now. Uh, well, it seems when Martinez is bad, United are bad. So maybe the fact that he's been good and United have been generally good this season go hand in hand. I've got to say I'm sticking with Casemiro on this one. Um, keeping the faith. I, I do agree he has a, a little bit of a drop-off um, in the last couple of months, but he also has a trait of starting games quite slowly, Casemiro, and by the end of it, you, you actually realise he's had a really good game, despite being a little bit annoyed with how he was playing earlier on in the game. So I think Casemiro will have his his bad moments, Think just the way he plays on the edge so much. Yeah, he'll get bookings and we've seen that he'll get sendings off. I think both of his sendings off had harsh elements to them and a lot of United fans were unhappy about them. But um, yeah, you can't really play like he does without without really risking a, a suspension like that. It'd be very, very interesting. And, and perhaps we can do a podcast about how United fare without him in the mm. next few games after the international break um, after this podcast. So yeah, I'll go Casemiro, you go Martinez and we, we'll all go home happy. Yeah, uh, with the uh, Casemiro thing, I think his what he gives us is so unique that his absence almost requires Ten Hag to completely reconfigure the way that our defence works because it it hangs on Casemiro and we have no other player that does what he does. So, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know quite what we're going to do, but it, it's a problem for United. It is a problem. And he has been very good. Like, he's he's my second and he is very he's almost neck and neck with Xander Martinez I think he's been yeah brilliant yeah we'll have to see it'd be very interesting and um, that's pretty much all we've got time for uh, on today's podcast um, we will be back after the international break I'm sure to to pick up where we left off um, Alex thanks very much for, for joining me on this one yeah thanks for having me um, everyone if you go on my TikTok or Instagram or anything like that you can get a free trial to the Player ID Pro for two weeks. So be sure to check that out and also give me any feedback that you have because I'm all ears. Yeah, the marketing arm of Sabre Sports is is getting really strong, isn't it? It's uh, it's good to see, but the, the TikToks are doing well. So that's that's good for good for the podcast, good for the game, as they say. Yeah, great for the game, great for the podcast. Big fan of TikTok, which I feel like I say every episode, but yeah, TikTok's great. 
even if you're 10 years too old for it. But, you know, if the, <laughs> uh, if the kids are on board, <laughs> then it's all good. Um, that's all for us then. You can obviously follow Alex Sabre Sports, follow myself and on the trophy, name on the trophy um, on Twitter. But that's all. And we'll be back for another episode very soon. Thanks for listening.